Thank you for joining us on IEB There. And now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. I'm Brad Behrens. I am the Editor-in-Chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Welcome to IAB There. It is Monday, May 18th. IAB There is our daily live stream where we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. Today, I am thrilled, and hold on so I can talk about her for a minute before she joins us. I'm thrilled to welcome Kathleen Hessert, who I think of as the Gen Z Whisperer. We've been, <clears throat> we spent 10 years or more in this industry obsessively focused about and occasionally complaining about millennials, but now we have a new or, or, uh, generation coming up fast. Gen Z. <clears throat> Kathleen Hessert is the, uh, runs the We Are Gen Z platform. She's also the president of the Sports Media Challenge. Let's bring her onto the screen. Kathleen Hessert is coming to join us now. I'm suddenly choking to death. Please forgive me. Kathleen Hesser, welcome to IAB There. Don't do that. Right now, anybody chokes and you think Corona. That's true. But fortunately, I am in a room all by myself, so I can't infect anyone. Uh, for those of you who have questions <coughs> about Gen Z, please post them on Twitter. Use the hashtag, all caps, one word, IAB There. Once again, hashtag IAB There, all words, all, one word, all caps. Uh, Kathleen Hesser, where are you coming to us geographically today? Where are you? I'm outside of Naples, Florida. I generally have lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I go back and forth between the two, but I'm in Florida today. Naples, I've been there many, many times. Uh, uh, and then you have, but before we get to Gen Z, which is our topic uh, for today and a topic of deep interest for, for advertisers uh, the world over, you have a rather complicated history. I would love, uh, in a good way. You, that's, was, a, that's one way to put it, Brad, yes. It's weird. So, uh, well, we, we, can, we can duel on, on, on who has the weirdest professional history some other time. But you've worked with both Shaquille O'Neal and the Pope. Can you can you walk us through how you came and possibly within relatively pretty near to each other? Talk, talk to us about that. What? How did you wind up doing those two things? Um, one of the most wonderful things about my career over the years has been the diversity, to say the least. And I started in television as my first career as an anchor reporter and talk show host, and and then went into business for myself. And basically. Um, I was working, coaching executives and, and celebrity sports personalities all over the world and gravitated to the internet to be able to, you know, jump over time zones and so on. And being on the internet, I early on saw uh, social media as a real thing that was going to change every, you know, everything we, we did in terms of communication and interacting. So I was an early adopter in 2007. I was on Twitter. And at the end of that year, I launched Shaquille O'Neal on Twitter. And according to Bizdone and Ev at that time, he took Twitter out of the hands of the geeks and put it into the hands of everybody because he was talking basketball. He was being hysterically funny, et cetera. And he really just catapulted um, and, and was magnetic like usual and, and drew so many people to the platform. It wasn't long after that, uh, was it too long after that, that someone from the Vatican, uh, I'm Catholic, I, I've, 
worked with the church in different capacities, but someone from the Vatican contacted me and said, how can we take what you're doing in sports and entertainment and apply it to the church to better connect with young people? And so uh, I talked them into when the Pope was coming to the United States, creating what I called at that time a digital street team, but an influencer marketing program to connect the church and the Pope with millennials. And I had a team of 60 millennials, 30 on site uh, when the Pope got to the United States and 30 virtual that were creating memes and analyzing all everything from beginning to end. And, and we launched the Pope emojis at that time as well to get to an even younger generation. And so it was, it was the Pope and Shaq, but ironically, about the same time as I was working with the Pope, I was also um, asked to work with P. Diddy when he was la launching his music. So I had the Pope, P. Diddy and Shaq and um, lots of fun to say the least. So uh, how do we get from there to an interest in Gen Z? What's the origin of your interest with this, this youngest, not youngest, we, we have to figure out what we're calling the next generation, but, but younger yeah. generation. So. Yes, uh, basically I, I'm a news junkie. And so I read everything under the sun and I'm reading all these articles about um, millennials and how brands were struggling with engaging with millennials. Much of my work over the first 20 years of my business was helping sports and entertainment entities uh, generate new fan bases. And those fan bases were generally younger because typically in a college football stadium, you'll have the average age would be 50 or older. And um, literally sometimes people would die in the stands. And I kept saying, if you don't start cultivating that younger audience, you're going to be in trouble. So as I'm reading about millennials and brands, I'm thinking you are missing the boat here because the the generation that is now the largest uh, of any single generation out there right now is Gen Z. And Gen Z is generally now about age eight today through age 22, 23 would be moving into the millennials. So it's a broad range and very different, obviously, an eight-year-old from a 22-year-old. But what brands didn't understand is that if they didn't engage with Gen Z now, even before they thought they were important to their, uh, to their business, they were going to lose them for good because brands, Gen Z grew up in a world where there always was the internet, um, where they had their fingers, you know, on everything through Google and YouTube and so on. And they were building allegiances, not work, are building allegiances for brands and they're spending their money. So a lot of brands are saying, ah, spending their money. What, what kind of money does a, a 12 year old have or a 13 year old? Gen Z conservatively in the United States today, think about this, spends $44 billion a year. Hmm. Bigger than that, they influence about 600 billion a year in the United States alone. And within another year, they'll probably be 40% of, of the population, 37% globally. So- I, I, I have to- 
I, I have two members of Gen Z uh, living in my house, and it is no surprise that they influence purchasing. Um, I think some of the raw buying power that you were illustrating might be a surprise from, uh, to some advertisers. So how do you, how would you describe the key differences? The, the generation begins with 1997. So for people born before 97, what do you see as the signature uh, distinctions for Gen Z? We had a lot of myths about millennials, things where people were talking about things as if they were indelible generational behavior when in fact it was life stage. Uh, so an example with millennials was, you know, they live everything out in the open. They don't care about their privacy. They're never going to care about their privacy. Well, sure enough, as millennials got older and had mortgages and things to protect and you know, didn't necessarily want to have their kids seeing things, uh, you know, the big picture of dad with the bong on Facebook that, you know, that they would uh, started to reel in some of their open behavior. So we saw life stage as distinct from generation. What are you seeing as the signature differences between Gen Z and people born before 97? So remember, I have had a, a small business of my own now for 30 plus years. So I hired a lot of those millennials. And I remember telling our daughter how frustrated I was because I'd invest all this money into getting someone up and running to be valuable to my organization. And 18 months later, they- they They're out of there. Yeah. And, and she just said, get used to it, mom. You know, get used to it. It's not going to change. Well, it did change. It changed with Gen Z. And how do I know that? Gen Z was born post 9-11, into a recession, etc. Their world was chaotic. And they looked around them and they said, you know, I don't want what millennials had. I don't want huge college debt that forces me to move back home that um, forces me to take a job in something that I don't care about. I want some stability. So instead of hopping from job to job to job, Gen Z is looking for a place to land, to stay. Maybe not to live forever, like we did growing up, you know, that was a goal, but literally to have a, a sense of stability. They mm. also uh, are much more frugal. Um, they, they see how not having, not earning a certain amount um, that is sustainable is going to affect their lives. And so they don't take on debt. There are a lot of Gen Z kids, in fact, who graduate at the top of their classes in high school. And instead of automatically going on to a good college, whether they can have to take you know, financial aid or, or grants or can pay for it themselves, they choose to go another route to take another, create another career and job so that they can start making money right away and, and be on their own. Um, in fact, there, it used to be that there was blue collar, there was white collar, and that was it. Well, now mm. there's blue collar, there's no collar, and there's white collar because- What's no, no collar? Tell me more. That means they don't have to go and get a college degree to be highly successful and valuable in the workplace. They can learn and know they can learn and daily learn anything they want practically from YouTube, from, from going on the internet, et cetera. They know that they can, um, they can weigh the price of college 
and the return on their investment or their parents' investment or whatever uh, with getting a job now, making really good money, um, going into the military or going into the trades that are paid very, very well. Now, all this was before COVID, which changed yeah. a lot, but the reality is they want stability, they want frugality, and they want purpose in the organizations that they align themselves with, the products that they buy, the services that they take advantage of, et cetera. They believe that we screwed up the world and left it to them to fix, and they're going to fix it. And so they actually gravitate to brands and to uh, job opportunities and so on based on the mission behind them and whether they don't just talk a good talk, but actually walk it. They will research right down to the uh, to the CEO if the CEO um, is behind something. And so I've talked to our Gen Z think tank, a, a half a dozen of the kids just a couple days ago, just to make sure that I was calibrating things correctly. And, um, and, and they will say, you know, there are a lot of brands out there that are talking COVID-19 right now and support your, your healthcare workers and so on that never once took a stand for a, a purpose or a mission, um, real social responsibility. And they wanna see right down to, you know, are you saying this? Where's the money going? What are you doing with it? Um, if I'm going to give to you, if I'm going to buy from you, et cetera, they're going to follow it right down that rat trail to try and figure out how authentic that brand is. And they're going to line or, or run away from in the other direction, those brands. So let's dig in in a moment on the We Are Gen Z platform. But I, I think I want to follow up and dig in on something you said a moment ago, which is, if you're right, and I think you are, that, that Gen Z is very much interested in stability, uh, there's never been a less stable time. Even before coronavirus, uh, we have the rise of the gig economy and we have you know, extraordinary legislative pressures and uh, controversies happening. You know, do we recognize uh, Uber and Lyft drivers as full-time employees? Uh, do we demand that of them? So the, the desire for stability um, it seems almost fantastical for this generation, as opposed to you know more more of a fantasy than something that's easily achievable. Are they aware of how precarious uh, they are, um, and hence the desire for stability? Are they you know, compared to earlier generations, or is it just that's their goal and they're sticking with it? They're aware of it now because, quite frankly. Um, those that are in colleges and universities were in a matter of moments uprooted and sent home without even their their belongings. Some are going back now two months later to get their belongings out of their dorm rooms or out of their apartments because they had to vacate their colleges. So they, they are well aware of the precarious nature. Many of them, I have a, a young woman, part of our, we are Gen Z think tank, who is from Charlotte, North Carolina, and she is a, a so just finished her sophomore year at Fordham and loves New York. And she had a great internship all planned for New York for the summer to stay there. And she was going to stay in the dorms because of the mm. cost of living. The dorms shut down, so she couldn't stay in the dorms. The, the internship was yanked away from her. 
luckily, she was able to go home, live with her family, and was able to get an internship that was relevant to her that she knew she could learn from in Charlotte, North Carolina. But they know the precarious nature of it. Um, I, I have uh, two young people from Notre Dame. One is a, a, a guy from Michigan in our Gen Z think tank, and one is a, a young woman from Florida. And um, they, you know, everything has been upended for them. And they just finished their freshman year at Notre Dame. And, and they love the place and they feel like that whole year almost has been lost because of the last quarter being shut down. Mm. And they still don't know what's going to happen in terms of next semester. So they understand the precarious nature of where they are, but that's not gonna stop them from going after um, stability. Think about the Marjorie Stoneman class. Uh, who would think a 17 year old or 18 year old or 16 year old kids could have the president respond to them to get Congress and, and legislatures to respond to them to start you know, a national movement, uh, anti-gun movement after their high school was devastated by a mass shooting. But their prime example of how young people can take on huge initiatives that seem insurmountable and really have an impact. Um, so it's not going to stop them. They know that everything's precarious out there, but they value those things and they have the guts to go after them. Huh. This uh, and Greta Thunberg, I think, is probably an extraordinary example of what you're talking about. But let's talk about the We Are Gen Z platform. You've talked about it as a platform. You've talked about it as a think tank. Like, what is it? Why just start it? And for the people in our audience, you know, how do brands, agencies, publishers interact with it? Sure. Quick history. Um, because I was curious, really curious about Gen Z and and not wanting to make assumptions. I gave $2,500 to the Northwest School of the Arts in Charlotte, North Carolina, a high school, and said, give me 12 of your best kids. And all I wanna do is talk to them every week and find out what's relevant within their generation. It went from <laughs> one school to six schools to becoming part of the, the marketing and business curriculum for the 11th largest school district in the nation. So basically I do uh, original research uh, and it's part of their curriculum and, and beyond CMS. And I, uh, I do eight original research surveys a year with over a thousand kids. And, uh, and I choose the topics, I own the data, and then I package the results and send them out. For Gen Z, my intention was to give them a voice because many of the articles that many of those few articles that mentioned Gen Z were talking to academics and people um, or quoting studies that were two years old. And, and many of the studies were done in the UK, not in the US either, which is a, a different population. Right. And so, um, so I, I wanted, if the media was gonna talk about them and brands were going to make huge business decisions based on them, I thought they needed to talk to those kids. So I amassed, you know, a good um, array of kids from middle school through high school and college uh, who we could poll directly or use to weigh in. There's a, um, one of the MBA teams has come to us and said, we'd like you to create 
a Gen Z advisory board for us that monthly we can meet with them and they can weigh in on our marketing, on our entertainment choices, on our uh, on all of our business choices. So we can see how that does or doesn't resonate with your community. Um, last year I did a, I, I had a survey on sports and entertainment and where, uh, how Gen Z responded to them, where that fit into their lives. And I, um, I had, I think it, there were 780 kids responded. And then I took 24 of them to the Carolina Panthers, to the Panthers credit. Um, we did a day long uh, program with them, focus group, so that they could find out literally how they could engage substantively with Gen Z and make them a real part of their, of their fan base. And uh, so, I, were there I had, any were there any shocking moments in that day with the Panthers? Because adolescents uh, can be brutally direct when they smell BS in the air, and so I'm wondering yeah. if you had an, anything choice to share. Amy Keene, who is, heads up their social media and digital efforts at the Panthers, actually used to work for me, and she is one of the most creative people you'll ever want to meet. And so Amy's, I, I, I went to Amy and I said, Amy, I see this article in Ad Age or something that, that said, um, and Gen Z punts on the NFL. And I said, you wanna lead in the NFL as, as a team? I said, find out directly from the kids how you can do it. So Amy told me that she used something every single day that she had learned live from that focus group and from the ultimate results um, to inform the Panth the Carolina Panthers um, that they should go in one direction or another. It, it's just, uh, it's they are brutally honest, and they'll they'll say, "All right, this just doesn't this doesn't make any sense to us," or "Why are you doing this?" Or yeah, I mean, there it's great. I took. Adobe is one of my, has been one of my clients and, and mm. up front, I'm an Adobe influencer or insider as we call them. There are about 40 of us from around the world that um, weigh in with Adobe all the time. And so they came to me and they, they really embraced Gen Z as the next generation of innovators and makers. And, and so they said, Kathleen, um, bring three or four of the kids to our global marketing leadership conference and we'll do a whole session on gen z and so <laughs> i remember the audience they were shocked they first of all i was told most of them have young kids who are gen z and they think they know it all well <laughs> we turned that around real quickly so one of the questions we asked was you know what makes you trust a brand and one of the young women uh lydia who's from indianapolis and goes to spellman uh, she said I have a backpack in the back of the room that has six Apple products in it. I do not trust Apple, but I trust those products because they've become a part of the fabric of my life. Um, the young man, the 16 year old, um, her brother from um, who's in high school in Indianapolis, uh, he said, I use Adobe products all the time because in, in my high school classes and they're all cheering and everything. And then he said, but, I wouldn't watch one of your tutorials. They're too long. <laughs> They're boring. And, and, and so I very diplomatically said, and Noah, 
we hope that the voice of those tutorials not sitting in this room today. And at the oh, end- Oh, quite to the contrary. What a wake up call it would have been for that person well, to be there, so. Someone came up to him afterwards and said, will you be the voice of our next tutorials before we even left there? Um, so they are brutally honest and they notice they are, they don't just float through life like, I probably did at their age. They, 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 they're deeply engaged with what's happening around them and not just in their own backyard, but around the world. They are very globally focused and inclusive as a, as a generation. Um, and they expect brands to be inclusive too. Um, I, I was talking to one of them, um, Quinn from, from Notre Dame about brands that she likes and don't, doesn't like. And she, she was didn't hesitate to mention Chick-fil-A. And she said Chick-fil-A was very anti-LBGT and um, I would not buy anything from them. And then after certain things happened, they came around and they said, all right, we were wrong. We're gonna, we're gonna do things differently and be more inclusive. And she did her research to see if it was more than just talk. And then finally she said, I like Chick-fil-A and they really seem to mean it. So I went back and I started buying Chick-fil-A again. Mm. You know, That's so, really interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it's, they also are very collaborative, which is really a, a, is an essential skill in business today more than ever before, because we're creating new kinds of teams when you have uh, a network of employees working from home or from um, shared workspaces who may be in another, not just another time zone, but a, another continent. And so they have to, they like to collaborate, they expect to collaborate. And so as they move into the workforce, they also expect those companies to provide the tools that they need to be collaborative. So to have the 24 seven access to people um, and to fix the IT that's not fixed, that's not working so that they can continue to collaborate and so on. So we have a question uh, from Lori Raskin and she has asked, how does purchasing power of Gen Z compare to millennials? Right now, the purchasing power of Gen Z is probably less than millennials just because fewer of them are in the actual workforce. Uh, but that is going to change drastically because I believe by the, the most recent numbers I've seen, by the end of 2021, there'll be 40% of the population and many of them will have moved into the workforce. So that will be that balance between spending power of millennials and, and Gen Z will change. Now, you have to consider millennials may be more free with their money than Gen Z because Gen Z is as frugal. a population more frugal, um, but that doesn't mean that that's not gonna balance out. The other thing to remember too, is that Gen Z, they're gonna be real picky about what company they're going to go to work for because they, they wanna know that there's purpose behind them and that they will have value there and everything but they also know that they're worth more because they're technological expertise. So they're asking for more uh, higher starting salaries. So um, as they move into the workforce, 
if you want the best of that generation, you're probably going to have to pay more as a company to get the best. And therefore, they'll have more spending power as well. And also, they have less security than earlier generations. And therefore, the willingness to sort of work your way up uh, without more immediate rewards is going to be less because they're in a hurry. Um, there's something you said that I think is quite interesting, and I want to pull out of it, which is the focus on inclusivity uh, and collaboration. I don't want that to be code for liberal. Um, because I don't think that all Gen Zs are liberal. No. And I think that that figuring out that, you know, what does that mean? So if you have deeply conservative Gen Z uh, people in your platform, and yet they're also interested in inclusivity, which is, again, usually a code word for liberals. So, so pull, help me understand um, the kind of the politics of Gen Z. Sure. Um, so if you think about... Um, if you, if you think about an age range of eight to 22, what is inclusive for an eight-year-old that doesn't even notice the difference between the people they're playing with or, or interacting with versus the 20 or 21 or 22-year-old who is choosing not to exclude someone because of that, there's a big difference there. Um, I, they're also very conservative young people within that generation. There are, there's strong Republican uh, Gen Z groups you'll find that um, voting is a big issue, uh, a really big issue. And there's some that don't want to be lumped into, um, you know, they, they, they don't want gun control and they, and they want more liberties and they don't want to have to compete against immigrants that are coming into the United States. And so they'll lean more to the right and, um, and they're very, very vocal. And so I think what you've got to consider as a company, as a brand is um, realizing that if you exclude, that's where you're going to have the problems. There's much more power in inclusion than in exclusion. So uh, you may in may not exclude a certain population that is seen to be very um, liberal bending and still be um, at a place that is amenable to a generation that, that wants more. So uh, back in the 60s, we had, you know, we used to hear, you know, don't trust anybody over 30. Uh, I think we have some of that with, with Gen Z. You yourself are not a member of the Gen Z uh, generation. And so I'm, I'm curious, sort of, well, I mean, the, the shortcut would be, have you ever been okay boomered by any of your people? And how do you communicate with them and establish the trust uh, based on being an alien to their generation? I don't assume anything. Um, the, I've never been okay boomered, but I'm 68 years old. So I'm an anomaly anyway, with what I do. I, I love what I do. And I got into the internet early and digital. And so I, I know I'm different. Um, however, um, it's, it's the lack of assumption. It's, it's valuing their opinions on things and, and actually asking them and listening to them. They presume that older people will not listen and take them seriously. So when someone does, when a brand does, when an organization does, they are not only all ears so that it's reciprocal, but in fact, 
um, they will give you much more than you ever anticipated. And so simply by asking them and giving them a voice, we ended up having um, a really strong platform for We Are Gen Z. My kids were the first ones who said, what do you mean Gen Z, mom? You know, you're not, don't you think you won't have any credibility? And I said, well, you know, if you listen to people, people value that. I said, number two, they may have different skills and sensitivities and everything. And I have the institutional wisdom. And so you put the two together and you've got a great combination there because a lot of young people have incredible ideas and believe they can go after it and just don't know how to. So when someone of another generation can help, help them implement what they envision, they, they don't just accept it, they applaud it. Well, we are out of time, tragically, because uh, I, I've asked maybe a third of the questions, the burning questions that I have for you. So hopefully we'll be able to get you back here sometime. Kathleen Hesser from We Are Gen Z, thank you so much for joining us on IEB There. I'm really grateful. Thank so. you so much. I, I love it. And if anybody in your audience has more questions, just get to me at, at Kathleen Hesser on Twitter, too, and I'll be happy to answer as well. Thank you. Fantastic. And we'll put you to more work soon. Thank you for tuning in on tomorrow's IAB There. We are excited to welcome Carolyn Everson. She's the Vice President of Global Marketing Solutions at Facebook. And we'll talk about adapting leadership in this time of crisis. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Tufika Mahinadin. I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. Thank you so much for watching. Tune in again tomorrow, because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know that it's time to IAB there. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.